Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 364 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is March 30th. Holy crap, the, the whole month of March is gone. March 30th, 2015. Hard to believe it's gone by that quickly. Spring football, three weeks down, two more weeks to go. We got a lot of questions about spring football coming up. We got questions about the NCAA and Todd McNair. We're going to talk to Dan Weber, an entire segment about the defamation case, Todd McNair against the NCAA. You sent in a lot of questions. We're going to answer every single one of them. And if you do have questions, we'd love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Or you can drop us a line, 206-888-6755. Or go to peristylepodcast.com, our website. Click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail there. Keep your voicemail short. We'd love to play them on the air. Like I said, Dan Weber coming up in the second segment. But we got Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment who was out at USC Spring Football this past week after they had spring break, wanted to get his thoughts on what he saw, his observations, and answer some of the, your questions about USC spring football. What's up, Coach? How you doing? I'm doing great, buddy. Uh, tell you, uh, beautiful weather in Southern California. It was a little warm out there this week in oh, practice, yeah. but, uh, you know, somewhere in the world it's hotter. Remember, I used to practice UNLV in the heat, and I used to make sure we practice in the heat. A lot of people say, I'm a, am I nuts? No, no, I wanted to use the heat as an advantage. So we got used to it, and when other teams came into Las Vegas, they weren't used to it. But they did it to me when I used to go into Logan or Salt Lake City, and it was freezing cold, okay? <laughs> so, so it all both pays off. It all works out in the long run. Yeah, certainly. It was hot at practice this past week, man. Just uh, put it on the sunscreen. And uh, I actually went out to Fontana yesterday, Coach, to cover uh, the – uh, passing down huge seven-on-seven tournaments. So lots of uh, prospects were there. I thought it would be really hot there. It wasn't terrible. It was hot, but it wasn't terrible. But, man, it was just at USC this past week, certainly uh, a lot of heat, especially for March. It was. You know, I took my umbrella, and I've never used an umbrella, but you know what? I didn't have the guts to open it up. I said, I can't show weakness. <laughs> Cannot show weakness. So I did not open up the umbrella, but boy, it was hotter on Thursday than it was on Saturday. Yeah, Saturday they practiced earlier in the morning, so I think that helped out a little bit. I did see your umbrella, but I didn't see you open it. So I was like, ah, oh, Coach's got an umbrella. Interesting. <laughs> uh, well, I want to thank our sponsor for the segment, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or you can give them a call at 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. I think opening day baseball's about a week away. Lots of stuff going on. The, the Clippers are doing pretty well. The Lakers not as well, but there's lots of stuff going on here in Southern California. Uh, you can go to sctickets.com and they will hook you up. And uh, we got some questions on spring football, Coach, so I think we'll just jump right in there. Um, Tarek had a question. Uh, with Lamar Dawson more than likely having the Mike linebacker spot locked up, do you see the will position, the other inside linebacker position, being totally up for grabs in the fall? Well, you know, I don't think anybody has it locked up. I just think he's having a great spring. And uh, there's a long ways to go yet, and uh, there's still a lot of hitting to do and a lot of reads and more defense to put in. Uh, I, I have to say that he's probably the most surprising players this year 
in the spring for for USC. Like I said last week and the week before, I think an attitude change is certainly apparent. I think he's playing hard. He's moving around. He's flying around the field. He made a nice interception Saturday. Uh, so he's on his toes, and uh, right now with Tucker playing the other linebacker as the number one at the number one unit, at least he was on Saturday. Uh, I think they're uh, they're going to be better, possibly at the inside linebackers. I, I do uh, uh, because they've got some great linebackers coming in. You've got Hutchings still. You've got Serraro, who's not in the spring. So uh, right now, I'd say Lamar is doing a great job, and uh, I'm proud of him. Because he could have come out with a different attitude. He came off an injury, didn't do much last year. And he's coming out, and he's really starting to be a leader out there. No, he is, Coach. And uh, I, he's a big surprise because he was kind of in that category, like maybe like where Buck Allen it was in the, the Lane Kiffin doghouse or whatever. And, and we saw, you know, we've seen players like this for different coaching staffs. It just doesn't seem like they're going to be involved for whatever reason. Even if they could play, it just seems like. There's some reason off the field or there's some reason attitude-wise or whatever, and, and Lamar Dawson came back from that injury slow, didn't really get things going, but has been, uh, you know, he ended practice on, I think it was Saturday, with a pick six, you know, and it just kind of put an expo- exclamation point on things. And uh, so him being in there, I think, has been a big help. Obviously, you got to try to replace Hayes Pillard. Anthony Sorio, you know, he's, he's you know, started last year. You figure he would you know, be likely to start again, but he's out for, you know, out this spring. He's walking around now looking better. Um, Michael Hutchins, I thought, would get a lot of reps. He's kind of now playing on the second team because of, uh, you know, Elijah Juan Tucker, Buddha Tucker out of Sarah High School. He's been getting some first-team reps there. And um, and I think they praised uh, Cameron Smith, uh, the, you know, early enrollee, incoming freshman, too. And like you said, there's more linebackers coming in. So I, I think overall – the linebacker situation is is going to be better, but like you said, Coach, you know Dawson's been really the surprise of the group, and I think they needed him this spring. They needed a veteran to come in there. Otherwise, you're just not sure what the. I don't know. It might be. I don't want to say waste, but without a veteran like that in there right now, I think it would be pretty difficult for the linebackers, the inside linebackers, this spring. I agree with you. He he could have come in with the a- attitude of, uh, as he had, I thought he had this last spring. And I, Lamar, if you're listening, I'm just telling you what I observed, the poor me attitude. Oh, poor me, poor me. But uh, he came out this spring, and it wasn't a poor me. He was fired up. He was ready to go. And he certainly, I think, has had a great spring. And right now, I think he has that number one spot. But, you know, you never have a number one spot made. There's always someone there that wants to take it. So you've got to learn to compete and keep going. So I, I, like the, I like the inside linebackers right now. And, of course, with the crop coming in, it'll be absolutely fantastic. I'm anxious to see what's going to happen on the outside as far as uh, with these linebackers coming in. Uh, really, uh, Sewer Craven, uh, I think, is a solid player. And, uh, uh, and Felix had, a, I thought, a good day Saturday and Thursday, too. In fact, I gave him the hit of the practice on Saturday on the Oklahoma drill. He came up nice and smacked that guy really well. I like the I I like when you hear the hit. I really like that and you could hear the hit in the stadium and so uh you know, uh we'll see what happens when the new linebackers come in. I was looking through the recruiting charts last night as far as the defensive linemen but they obviously need help there. They really do. And uh Coach Sarkeesian even pointed to that. These guys are getting a lot of reps and and, uh, yeah, they're getting in shape, but are they the players that are going to be playing? You want your players who are going to be playing to be getting in shape. And, uh, of course, Woods is not going this spring. Uh, Towns is not going this spring. And 
Ruffin's not going this spring. Sorrero's not going this spring. And those are the guys you want to see those fast reps this spring to get themselves ready for this fast-paced offense, which USC is doing. I was timing the plays Saturday. Again, I was back to sitting by myself, if you noticed, and I do little things like timing the plays between plays, and, and they were in that 30-second uh, uh, pattern that they want to be in. So uh, I noticed they were doing that and uh, getting the plays in and off the field and not doing much correction on the field. So, uh, you know, when you have Daniels come in and Jefferson come in and Scott come in and and I know there's another one, I can't think of his name right now, come in, I think it's going to be great rotations in there and these young players, they got to play a lot early against Arkansas State and Idaho. These guys have got to get reps and grow up, and these babies have got to get out of their diapers, <laughs> and they got to get into the real pants. All right, that's good stuff. <laughs> get out of the diapers. All right, we'll have to tweet that out. Um, let's see. Uh, JJB had a question. This is about quarterback stuff. He said, thanks for your hard work on the podcast. Last year, whenever they brought in Max Brown, all he ever did was hand the ball off considering that he will probably be the quarterback for USC in 2016 and considering that the first game of the year will be against Alabama, do you think they will give him some longer looks against the other team's starting defense and let him run the whole offense, including throwing the football, uh, JJB? Well, uh, I hope they do. I hope they'd have that opportunity. You know, you only have that opportunity is when you're winning and you have an opportunity to put your backup in or if someone gets hurt, you certainly don't want Max the Brown to get his reps when someone's gotten hurt so or injured. So uh, uh, I think you have to give him reps. He's got to see the game at the full speed level. Uh, and uh, then, you're, then you're able to evaluate him better. You really have to evaluate him under fire. And you're right. All he did was hand, hand the ball off when he was in the game. He didn't have an opportunity really to throw the ball or loosen the defense up. I think the defense even knew they were just going to hand the ball off to him or the running back, so they really played a little bit different. But I think you've got to let your players come in. I've always had the philosophy, because you're a backup and because we're winning, that doesn't mean I'm going to cheat my backup players when they come in the game and say, just run the clock out. I'm not going to do that. I owe it to the kids. These kids have worked hard the entire spring, the offseason, during fall camp. If you can't, if you're not good enough to play us, I'm not going to penalize my backup players. When they come in the game, we're going to do whatever we have to do to get more points or whatever we have to do to play defense at our level of intensity so I can evaluate these players. I want to evaluate them them at full speed. Uh, And uh, I think that you really penalize yourself and you penalize your own team and you penalize the kids. But the kids know, oh, I'm just going to go in there and they're just going to run the ball and run the clock out. I don't like that. I think that you've got to be able to have your backup players that when they go in the game, they're going to get their true effort, and you're going to give them an opportunity to prove to me and the staff that they can play. Makes sense, Coach. Uh, we'll see. And what, what did you think, speaking of uh, Max Brown, what did you think of the quarterback play and how he, how he threw the football? Well, you know, I, I think he was a little erratic on Saturday. Uh, uh, I, I, I didn't think he had one of his better practices. Now, everybody might disagree with me. That's okay. Uh, I noticed that uh, that uh, they're doing a little bit different things with the quarterback. They're actually trying to run the quarterback a little bit now. Yeah, they're finding out they're finding out that this offense is designed to have an athlete at quarterback. I mean, I've been saying that for I don't know how many years here, two or three years, that if you're going to run this offense, uh, 
a part of the offense is to have an athletic quarterback. I don't know if how many of you that have been listening for years, but you know, part of the offense is stretch the defense and have an athletic quarterback that keeps the perimeter of the defense aware that you might keep the ball or you might even keep the ball and run inside off the sweep. The quarterback keeps the ball and runs right up the middle. And I think a kid that demonstrates that he can do that is this Matt Fink kid that they offered a scholarship to from Glendora High School. Immediately I went right to the tape as soon as I heard that they offered him a scholarship on Saturday. Hey, this kid can play, and this kid can run this type of offense. And I think that if you get these type of athletic quarterbacks to run the offense, then you've got a better running game because you're stretching the defense. And they, and, and I think that uh, this is something that Coach Sarkeesian and Clay Helton are looking at. And uh, obviously they've got to have the more athletic quarterback. Now Green looked good carrying the ball. Uh, even I was surprised at how well uh, Ricky Town ran the football. I didn't know he was that quick. He ran the ball pretty good. But those two are probably the quickest of the quarterbacks that are out there. And, uh, Coach, and I – well, you talk, I mean, Cody Kessler's an athletic guy. Like we talked about, he'd been able to dunk a basketball when he was in eighth grade. And, and you know, Max Brown can run enough. I think that even you don't have to have the speed of a Jalen Green or anything like that. It just seems like that was a part of the offense that was kind of taken away. Like it should have been there that Cody Kessler or Max Brown or whoever's in there could still take off and run the football on third and six when you know everyone's downfield and you can easily just run out of bounds and scamper for eight yards and, and pick up the first down. It seemed like that was out of the offense, and you don't necessarily need the most athletic quarterback in the world to be able to at least incorporate that, but it seemed like that's something USC kind of shied away from. They did shy away from it because they didn't want to injure Cody Kessler, and of course Cody is not that type of player. He's a great athlete, but he's not quick afoot. He's quick as far as uh, avoiding the rush and moving around, but in straight speed, he's not. Yes, he might be able to get the six yards, but imagine with surrounding players as good as what USC has and having a quarterback that runs 4'6", four, 4'7", four, maybe even 4'5", five, five, now you've got really a problem with yeah. running backs and, and receivers. And How do you defense this? And not only do you run to the outside, you run the outside sweep off the option to read, and you run right up the middle with the guard leading. Wow! like a power play with these guys or quarterback draws. Now you add to the offense a whole different dimension. So uh, I think Cody's doing a great job. I'm not advocating any change at quarterback. I think he's the guy. Uh, but I'm saying imagine with a guy that's tremendous uh, running, has tremendous running ability that can throw the football. Now, don't get me wrong. You've got to be able to throw the football. But, uh, man, I'll tell you, guys that can get the home run for you, that certainly does add to the offense. And I think that's something down the line after watching Fink. All of a sudden, everybody said a surprise offer. Yes. Well, he's got offers from Notre Dame. He's got offers from other schools. So obviously, he's not somebody that hadn't been on their mind. Yeah, and it's, it's funny. Shea Patterson is the, the, the 2016 quarterback I like the most who could run and throw, and he ended up committing to Ole Miss. But – um, that would have been a really good one. And I got to see another one yesterday uh, from Bishop Gorman, Coach Tate Martell. Uh, he was at that uh, the passing down seven-on-seven seven tournament I was at. And he was he was a lot of fun to watch. Not a big dude, but definitely could throw the football. I think he's got a nice arm, and uh, but super athletic. He was playing cornerback. He was playing safety. He was playing receiver. After, just when they were up big in a game, after he played quarterback and threw a bunch of touchdowns, then he kept playing uh, different positions and stuff. And He's a fun kid to watch. It's kind of not, you know, 
not the biggest dude. He would certainly be a, a way different quarterback than what USC had had before. He's 2017, so he's only a sophomore. But uh, one of those dudes that's like down the road, like he'll be someone that's fun to watch. Oh, he is. He definitely is. He's a playmaker. What he is is an absolute playmaker. He he can run, and just when you think he's he uh, he's decided to run, he's throwing the football down the field. He's a playmaker. They won the state championship last year. Bishop Dorman ended up being the national champion, number one high school team in the country, and he's a sophomore quarterback. Now, he's been redshirted. What I mean by that, he was redshirted in the kindergarten, or he started a little bit late, which is okay, which is okay. If I had a son and he was an athlete, I'd redshirt him in grammar school or start him a year later. What's the rush? So I'd rather have my son be a leader than a follower. So... uh this is uh, what he's done. He's a great player, and I believe he's committed to USC, but he's still open to taking trips and offers and so on. So I don't, I don't call that a hard commit. Yeah, I don't think he. I'd have to look. I, yeah, I don't think that's like a a real commitment, or whatever. But yeah, he's definitely someone fun to watch, kind of down the road. We'll see what uh, what he ends up doing. But it, it, people like we don't usually talk about recruiting much on this podcast, but it is about the offensive philosophy and. You know, this year they bring in two quarterbacks. One's more athletic than the other, so you're not really sure which direction Steve Sarkeesian's going to go. And and so, which quarterback do they bring in for 2016 and 2017? Things like that. Are they athletic guys? Or are they more pocket passer guys? And and right now, I mean, you went after Shea Patterson, who's more you know the the dual threat kind of guy. Then you went after KJ Costello, who's more of a pocket guy, and you know. And now Fink, you're going after him. He's more of an athletic guy. So it's, it's, it doesn't seem like the coaches really know which direction they were to go either. Uh, it appears that way. I've been saying that all along, but I think they've got to make a statement here and decide which way they're going to go if they're going to continue with this offense. And there's a kid up in Ventura. He's uh, committed to uh, Florida State. Malik somebody. I forget. Uh, boy, he's a great athlete, too. He can run, he can throw, so, you know, he's only verbally committed, but uh, he's a great player, too. I don't know how many quarterbacks USC can take, but they certainly are getting their share. Yeah, definitely. And it's So it's it's this is a time where if you don't follow recruiting, this is one aspect where you kind of want to pay attention just because it does impact the offense uh, going forward. So, um, all right, thanks for that question. Let's see, uh, Jamal, who I ran into, um, and I don't think you got to meet him, Coach, because he said he was said he said nice meeting you and Dan at practice. Uh, so he came out with his uh, lovely wife and uh, his you know kid out there going to they went to Disneyland and all kinds of stuff. So they're visiting from the state of Washington. He wanted to say hello, and uh, so he said hello to me and he said hello to Dan. And he had two questions, so we'll do these one at a time. He said, "Did I miss it, or was there no period for the wide receivers?" to run block. This is what makes the Oregon offense so much better. Well, they did a little stock blocking um, for a short period of time, and I was going to mention that, too, if you didn't ask me the question. I thought Darius Rogers was doing nice stock blocking. But he's exactly right. Uh, At Oregon, everything's reversed. Uh, I think you've heard me mention this before. I did the uh, emceeing for the Laurie's Beef Bowls for both teams last year. I do it every year. And when I was uh, standing next to one of the receivers, we were just happened to be talking. I said, well, what do you think? He says, I've got to block. I said, really? He says, yeah, the number one thing I've got to do is block against Florida State. I'm going to block, block, block. The first thing we learned to do at the University of Oregon is stock block. We've got to maintain our block, stay in front of the receiver, or defensive back. We don't have to knock him down, but we have to shadow him. And that's a technique I used to say, shadow him. 
just when he makes move one way, you keep your base and your stance, you move in front of him. You don't have to knock him down, but so he can't see through you enough or he has to run through you to get to the ball carrier or the receiver. And he says that's the number one thing they learned to do at Oregon before they learned to catch the ball, and that's the block. So obviously Jamal has been to an Oregon practice, and I didn't see a lot of it Saturday. I agree with you. But it's one thing you have to learn to do. You're not a receiver. You're a football player, which means you learn to do it all. That's a good point. I mean, I, I need to go and, and try to look for that specifically, but that's not something that stands out in my mind as uh, an emphasized period of practice or anything that you're from watching practice the last few years. I don't really remember that being just taught a whole lot, Coach. And, uh, you know, maybe it, you know, everyone's going to do it differently. Oregon, that, you know, that's what they do really well. But I think it shows when you get those guys – they have really athletic guys that are catching the ball in the flat or whatever, and, and the reason they can make that play turn into a long play, and it's not you know it's not that difficult of a play. It's a low risk, high reward kind of play, is because they do get that blocking downfield, and it's really a, a huge part of their offense. It is. It's a big part of their offense, and you can't just do it one on one. You have to have a back behind it, so the back learns how to read the block also, and the defensive back has something to react off of. And the receiver has a chance to move around and block and set up the, the move of the back. The back fakes to the outside. The, the, the defensive back moves that way. The receiver moves that way, blocks him, and the back cuts back inside. So it's a drill that you do. First of all, you teach it without the back, and then you go farther along, and you put in it with the back. And uh, it's a great drill. We used to do that, oh, at least a couple of days a week. I mean, a full session. I'm talking about 10, 15-minute period. All right. Uh, and then his second question was, uh, I know that we are limited in running backs, but do you think it's a waste of time using the fullbacks to run the football? They are getting the ball. Uh, they are getting the ball beside the quarterback and have to go laterally to hit the hole. And they and they need. And oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it says to, to hit the hole and they need it. It's the strength of the defense. So I think they're going into the strength of the defense. I saw no training specific to the fullbacks for second-level blocking uh, from Jamal? Well, uh, let, me, let me put it this way. I, I think that uh, Justin Davis is having a great spring, okay? He's got a lot of burst. And when you watch the difference between Davis hitting the hole and Tolan hitting the hole, there's really a difference. You can see the quickness, how quick they get to the hole. You don't have to maintain a block forever. Uh, you may basically maintain contact and allow the back to use his God-given ability to make the burst and go. It takes a little bit longer for Vanuku or Pinner or them to get to the hole. You have to maintain your block a little longer. So, yeah, but I think that it's good for them to get a lot of reps. I really do. Uh, you don't want to run Justin a lot or take a chance of getting him hurt. And, and Tolan, Tolan is the best running back in the Pac-12 that is not on a scholarship. He'd be on scholarship at any other university. I'm, I'm not kidding you. Uh, maybe maybe not at some of these, but I'm talking about he would be on a Division One scholarship somewhere in the NCAA. He is a heck of a back, and he's paying such a great uh, uh, price as far as walking on at USC. He is a good football player, along with Connor Spears. Uh, I want to I tell you, I think he's an adequate tight end. He's as good a tight end almost that, that there is. He catches the ball well, and I watched him. He blocks well. He's in there. He's taking his turns. He's a good kid. He's not on a scholarship. And I want to point these kids out. But they're walk-ons, taking a lot of turns, knowing that there's a chance they might not play at all. 
but they're proving to themselves and proving to guys like me and the coaches that if they do play, I feel great about it. I think they'll do well. So I want to point that out. But, uh, no, I think that it is different. It is different when you're blocking on the offensive line than when Tolan hits it or when Davis hits it or Vanuku hits it. It is different. It really is. But Vanuku such a winner. I love that kid. I just love the way he plays and plays special teams. He'll do anything you ask him to do. Then, of course, you got Ware coming in and you've got Jones coming in and you got that kid uh, from Alamany coming in, Dominic, what's his, Davis? Is that Dominic his name? Davis, yeah. Yeah, you got him coming in, who might be one of the fastest players in the state. I don't know if he'll play running back, he'll play defensive back or or uh, slot, but they certainly have some great slot backs right now that are playing well. Defensive secondary is really playing well, and when you look at Marshall coming in and uh, Ross coming in and some of these other kids coming in, uh, I'm going to tell you, it's getting back now to where it should be as far as great players everywhere on the field at USC. Certainly agree with you there, Coach. And uh, the, the walk-on contributions are big um, with some of the guys you mentioned. And, you know, Connor Spears getting the, the majority of the first team reps at, at tight end and, you know, Tolan being really the only other healthy running back right now, uh, you know, him not being on scholarship. Any other observations that you wanted to kind of share from, from watching practice this week, guys that stood out or drills that stood out or anything like that? Well, you know, when I when I watched, uh, I think Seymour just having a great spring. I like Chris Hawkins, what he's been doing in the secondary. I watch him closely. He's number four for all of you that uh, follow Chris or don't know what his number is. I think Stevie Mitchell is the real deal. I watch him in high school. He's the real deal. There's no question about him. He will do nothing but get better when he gets more confidence in his knee that he injured. I think Adore Jackson's the real deal, and it's getting that maybe almost you won't need Adore on offense. Now, I know. You've heard me say before, I'd just keep him at corner and he'll make more money in the NFL playing corner than he will a slot back. But you got uh, Jack, uh, you got Mitchell, you've got uh, Harris, number 18, you've got some kids coming in. Ross, I don't know where he's going to play. You've got some great slot backs. You got, and i tell you, another kid that's really impressed me is this Whitney kid from Riverside City College, number 15. I watch him closely. I tell you, he's getting better and better and better. I really like him. He's really had, a, I think, a great spring for a kid that's coming in and learning the position and also performing. He caught a couple of big balls. He runs smoothly. I think he's done a great, great job. Uh, I'm, I'm really uh, happy, too. I watch Hensley, the big tackle that came in from Windward. I mean, uh, a lot of people don't expect a lot out of him, and I didn't either. But, you know, he's a gamer. I mean, yeah, he's learning to control his body. He's a big kid, but they'll redshirt him. He can be a football player someday. I like his attitude. Number sixty-three he runs around. He's first in line. I mean, he's not a moper. He's he's a he's a he's a, he's good. He's I mean, I like his attitude. You know, I like to see kids' attitudes. I evaluate a kid a lot on their attitude as far as trying to jump jump in line. And when the coach is there and needs somebody, he's willing to step in line. I think Plattenberg's really had a nice spring too, as everybody's said and knows that, and I like the offering Saturday of Matt Fink. I really do, because I think there's starting to be a philosophy there as far as uh, what way they're going to go at the quarterback position. Uh, I'm not saying I hope that's what they're thinking. I, I know that's what they should do. If you're going to run that offense, you've got to be able to do that. I like Khalil Rogers at center. I think he'll be a, do a good job there as a backup to, to uh, shoot, who's the center? 75. Oh, Max, Turek. Max, huh? Max Turek. 
thanks for helping me out there, buddy. That's why I have you around <laughs> to help me. But the old man needs a, you know, some help. But, but uh, I, I had that. I think Trey Madden is running smoother. He looks a little uh, like he's a little lighter, but he's not in contract contact drills. I like what he was doing out there. Uh, I think the team is more confident as far as understanding what they're doing and what they're expecting to do. Uh, the practice was uh, brisk but not hard. What I'm saying by that, there was thud. We call it thud where it's not all out scrimmage, but it's thud. Try not to tackle, stay up. But then at the end, they did try to go a little bit more. Uh, the hurry-up offense, as I mentioned earlier, they, they are running a hurry-up hurry offense. So uh, I think that's really come along uh, good, too. The only thing I'd, I'd like to see them work on, and, you know, I don't want to be critical, but I just say as a head coach, I watch practice as a head coach. Uh, I don't like people standing around. I like it. If you're kicking field goals, I want the, the defensive team to get something out of it. And they had a period there where they were kicking field goals, alternating the kickers. Well, the defensive side should always work kick where the field goal is short. If it's short or blocked or whatever, so during that field goal period, I would make sure that we did have a block field goal on purpose to make sure everybody's going uh, hard or you have guys back. So if the field goal is short, so you have somebody catching it, knowing what to do with it, because he's seen it before, especially on long field goals. So you, you understand exactly how to react. It's not something that you just watch the ball, it's good, watch the ball, it's bad. And you coach it. You have somebody back there with the guys, and you coach it. And This is off to the right. Should I run it out and let it go in the end zone? Oh, it's short. It's rolling around. What do I do with it? Do I run away from it? What do I do? Uh, I think those are part of the kicking games that you can do uh, when you're working on field goals. You can also coach the uh, defensive side of it as far as, you know, not blocking, but what happens if these things happen? Because I'm not, they weren't going full speed on it. But, you know, there's other things you could coach at the same time. All right. Well, Coach, great stuff. I'm glad we got to get to the questions and get your thoughts on what was going on with spring football. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to see you out there, and we'll look forward to seeing you out there uh, this week in practice. Good. I, when I go to practice, one day it was a social call on Thursday. Yes, I started yeah. talking to a lot of people. <laughs> and, and, you know, I hadn't seen the, uh, the whole group. So I moved from group to group to group, and, and uh, two young ladies who were sitting there said, hey, we listen to you all the time, and you tell me you're, when you come out here, you don't talk to anybody. We've watched you talk to people all day. So I had to get back to my <laughs> my game plan on Saturday because I, I didn't see them there. But, boy, I went in the office. I went in the office, locked the door, and watched the practice. Yeah, so it was funny. I didn't get to talk to you on Saturday, but we got we got to chat a little bit on Thursday, so that was good. So thanks for at least talking with us on Thursday. And when we'll see you out there, I'll, I'll leave you alone, Coach. We'll let you do all of your observations. Okay, buddy. <laughs> thanks a lot. Have a great day, everyone. Drive carefully. Take care of yourself. All right. Thanks, Coach, and everyone else. Hey, back in a minute, we're going to do a whole segment on the NCAA Todd McNair deal. The emails, no one's been on it closer and more insight than Dan Weber. Check it out. Back in a minute, talking with Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. 
SC tickets, concerts, sports, and theater. Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with him, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to circlemarketing.com and see if they're right for you. Circlemarketing.com, huh? Well, I'll go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber coming on the show uh, talking about, we usually talk about spring football this time of year, but Dan... With these new re- revelations going on, and we've had so many questions being sent in this week about USC and Todd McNair and the NCAA, I think we're going to do an entire segment on this case. Is that okay with you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least this time people won't be throwing brickbats at you for talking about the NCAA uh, anymore. Uh, I know a lot of people didn't think this day would ever happen. Didn't think we'd ever see any of the emails. Didn't think it would mean anything. I don't know if we knew it would. We kind of had faith that it would get to this point. But, and I think mostly because we wanted to see it happen for Todd McNair. Uh, and uh, it's finally gotten there. And uh, that's fun to, you know, to, to have the sense that it may be delayed. It may have taken a long time. But it's working in the right direction, you know, for the right reasons and for the right person. And, uh, you know, if USC benefits from it, uh, so much the better. But uh, we're just glad to see that it's working for Todd McNair. Yeah, all right. And, I, you know, we'll, we'll be able to talk about all aspects of this. I think some of the questions, there's, there is certainly some redundancy there. But um, I just want to get people get a feel for the kind of stuff that we're getting sent in. And we still would get stuff like this maybe at a smaller scale throughout the process. But now that it's more out in the national media, uh, even the fans that weren't really big, like fans, you know, the USC fans that weren't big fans of us talking about this, they seem to have come around, and there's still some skepticism there. But um, so I'll start off with Tony in Norwalk, and, and these are all are usually a little longer, so just bear with me real quick. Um, Tony in Norwalk writes in, "I hope that you guys are doing well. Uh, I've written a few times, and I thank you for reading my questions and answering them on the show every time." So he wanted to give a shout out to his four-year-old daughter, uh, Bethany Gomez. So hi, Bethany. Uh, she's a big USC fan. She's been going to home games since she was six months old. Wow. And we, wow. Listen, to the, we listen to the podcast together every Tuesday morning on the way to preschool. So Bethany's wow. a podcast listener, Dan. That's pretty cool. <laughs> hi, Bethany. Hope you have, you know, be good at uh, whatever you're doing in preschool. Um, the release of these documents make me sick. What makes matters worse is, like most fans, I feel that SC didn't put enough pressure on the NCAA to have the sanctions overturned or softened. Here's what I think should happen now, and he gives five points. The NCAA should pay back the fine USC paid with interest. All of the vacated wins in the national championship should be reinstated. Reggie Bush's Heisman Trophy should be returned back to him and to USC. Mark Emmert should issue a formal apology on video that should be played on the beautiful video board at the Coliseum before every home game this upcoming season. I like that one. And then USC, yeah, should like be given, <laughs> USC, USC should be given 10 extra scholarships for the next three years, next three seasons to hand out to walk-ons 
and should be allowed to have a roster of 95 scholarship players for the next three seasons, 10 of the 95 being walk-ons. Thank you guys for putting together a great show every week and fight on Tony from Norwalk. I like a couple of those. I think the idea of extra scholarships or walk-ons who've had to really carry a big burden for USC the past three years is a great idea, especially kids who've been here through that time period. That's a, that's a terrific idea. I, I really like that. I'd probably like to see USC have the flexibility to use scholarships the way they want to get to 85. I think they ought to have the right to be up to 85 without any doubt this fall. Uh, that's, that's a no-brainer. Uh, I think uh, the idea of having extra scholarships and walk-ons is also a good idea. I mean, you know, the fact that they had to play the Las Vegas Bowl with 44 originally recruited scholarship players, think how many walk-ons had to, you know, contribute through that whole time period. So especially if you could, you know, make it up to some of these kids, uh, you know, who are going to be seniors or what have you, and, you know, maybe don't have a scholarship for them if they've been a walk-on through that period. That's a, that's a terrific idea. The Emmert video apology is beyond <laughs> belief a good idea. Uh, throw that up on the video board. Oh, my goodness. That's, uh, and that's the kind of penalty that they would have liked to have taken, you know, against USC, the whole take down the Reggie Bush stuff for the rest of his life. I don't know. You know, I don't think the NCAA ever instituted a penalty like that. So I think, you know, there should be some of these in-kind uh you know, responses. Um, I think the uh, the problem with the you know the national championship is the BCS that took it back using the NCA's uh, uh, you know ruling. The problem is there's no more BCS. You know, I don't know where USC would go to petition to get the darn thing back. And I obviously I think Reggie would have to petition the Heisman Trust to. To get you know, of course, he's not the only person ever, uh, you know, in the history of the Heisman trophies. Uh, I mean, if you went down the list, uh, you know, uh, the percentage of guys who have probably uh, you know been gifted some things uh, by boosters, or in the USC case, wasn't even boosters, but been gifted uh, while they were in college and ended up winning a Heisman and didn't have to give it back are really high. I mean, I think with that you might be able to you know, embarrassed the Heisman that they jumped in and, you know, were were stampeded along with everybody else by the, you know, Yahoo stories and the stories by Yahoo's who now are, uh, you know, looking at it and saying, gee, we didn't realize. We thought USC was really guilty. Oh, gosh, who knew? You know, we hear that all the time. Now, you know, what we don't even hear, we don't hear a single person nationally who defends the NCAA in any even little bit of part of this conduct. Now, a lot of them still get it wrong. Uh, you know, they still think Reggie Bush got benefits from USC or that there was maybe a recruiting angle. You know, you know people haven't been educated. That's where USC falls down, I think, on the, uh, on the job here, that they, you know, they, uh, they weren't aggressive enough. The problem, and I'll give USC somewhat of a pass on their lack of aggressiveness, I don't think USC realized, none of us could have, quite the depth of corruption involved in the USC case. We did not realize that maybe the NCA, obviously they knew what was in the emails. They knew what they did. They knew how guilty they were. 
even in all the other cases where the NCAs had some give back, you know, uh, UCLA, Miami, Oregon, Ohio State, North Carolina, gosh, Auburn, all of those places are where they've given in or haven't pursued them. Uh, the NCAA wasn't nearly as corrupt as they were in the USC case. So they could do kind of whatever they wanted to do, and they weren't going to look like all that bad. The problem is, in the USC case, they were hiding all of this corruption. They were hiding all the ways that they broke the bylaws. So I don't think USC understood how aggressive they would have had to be and how much pain they would have to threaten uh, against the NCAA before the NCAA was going to give them anything back. Uh, and, you know, maybe it was, you could say, gosh, who could have imagined what the NCAA did in this case? Uh, I think we kind of did, but even when you read those now, you can't even quite believe uh, how they acted. I mean, you just can't, because you know what the rules are. You know what they said they were doing. Then you see what they were doing, and you think, gosh, what kind of people are these, you know, without any, you know, hint of ethics or any, you know, attempt to even do the right thing or the fair thing. All they wanted to do was take USC down and however they could do it. And uh, that shocks you a little bit, uh, even about the NCAA. So, anyway, good, uh, uh, good takes, all of them. Very good takes. Yeah, that was a great one. And I think it's a pretty good segue into Dave's question. Dave Reynolds writes in, uh, question for Dan Weber. If the NCAA knew their case was biased against USC and was being challenged in the courts, why were they so set against giving USC any sanction relief when Pat Hayden appealed, uh, they were so arrogant as well as corrupt, they probably thought they would never be seriously challenged. I'm anxious to see how USC responds to the release documents. I love the show and have been listening for the last year. Thanks, Dave. And uh, what do you think, Dan? Yeah, Dave, I think for sure they didn't think these would get out. They've been, a, they've been really good at, at, at you know running the clock out, using the law. Uh, they thought they could get the USC case dismissed. Uh, the US, uh, Todd McNair's lawyers, really smart guys, had set a trap farm, really. Uh, and when the NCAA asked to have the case dismissed right away, using California law called the anti-slap law, uh, the uh, uh, Todd McNair's lawyers got discovery. And the NCAA, and they hit a, 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 a judge in L.A. who said, well, of course, if you're going to defend getting your case uh, thrown out, you have the right to discovery, limited discovery, but you get discovery. The NCAA hadn't really had anybody do that to them like this. And, they, you know, there was, then they could settle maybe. That would have been awfully early to settle. But they had to give discovery, and uh, I think they just got trapped. They weren't smart. Their basic game plan in these lawsuits has been to run the clock out. And uh, once they... Uh, you know, once they got uh, had to give up uh, some of their inner workings, things that they'd lied about for years that they weren't doing, and it's obvious it was a matter of they were doing it without even thinking twice. That's just how they did. Uh, and so uh, uh, I, I think that was, you know, that that's the key, I think, in, in understanding that, that once they got, were going to get exposed in terms of, of uh, you know, what they did, all they could do is try to run the clock out more. And let's face it, it's been fairly successful. This is, uh, you know, almost five years uh, Todd McNair will be, you know, has been, uh, you know, his career has been just, you know, destroyed. And, uh, you know, two and a half years since Judge Schaller, almost two and a half years since Judge Schaller 
uh, ruled that the NCAA was probably going to lose this case on on definite uh, defamation, and that they had exhibited you know hatred and malice and all the other things that are necessary, and uh, they've been able to run it out you know two and a half years, but uh, I don't think they can run it out run it out anymore uh, at all. Um, all right. Thanks for that one, Dave. Let's see. We'll do, there's a couple, these are kind of similar. So I'm going to read both of these to you, Dan, and, uh, kind of let you comment. Um, Alan Tarzana first. He said, I'm listening to the March 23rd podcast and great job as usual. Listen, I heard Dan's fascinating speculation on what the NCAA emails may very well reveal. And that's certainly interesting so far as it goes. But as long as we're asking Dan to speculate, what are the potential implications if his speculations are proven to be accurate embarrassing the ncaa is fine and deserved but does usc get anything other than a moral victory Uh, moreover being a loyal listener i know dan believes that usc and pat hayden specifically have been too passive uh in their acceptance of the penalties but again if dan's speculations turns out to be more or less accurate what does usc do then say oh well too bad for us or, or do we choose to try and restore the vacated victories, national title, and Bush's Heisman? From a purely personal standpoint, I don't see what USC has to gain by playing nice. So what is there to lose by not taking the NCAA to court? In conclusion, if the NCAA has proven to have acted in bad faith, if we don't sue or at least negotiate for a wrongful due process in the court of the NCAA, then it suggests that we, in fact, do have something to hide. Thanks uh, so much for what you guys do week in and week out and fight on Alan and Tarzana. So I'll just we'll just read these one at a time because that, that was kind of long. Oh yeah, you know I think that's a really good point that if USC, you know, remains relatively oh we're a member of the association yeah they got it wrong uh, da 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 I don't think they can do that anymore because basically you know and that's been used by people over the years to say well this must be some admission that there must be something there or USC must be guilty or, or whatever because they accepted it. Schools that were guilty, that everybody knows was guilty, didn't accept the penalties. Didn't, you know, told the NCAA, get out of here. You know, Ohio State said, don't come here with that, you know, USC stuff. We're not accepting that. You know, Miami didn't accept. Nobody has accepted what the NCAA did uh, or was even considering doing, even though they were guilty as hell. Uh, USC here, it turns out, is almost without sin compared to the rest of them, and yet uh, meekly accepts uh, things as they go. I mean, uh, what they did to Pat, the way they embarrassed him, he had a really legitimate point that he was trying to make uh, a couple of times, uh, that the NCAA should have, you know, at least been willing to not make him look bad. And they didn't even hesitate to try to embarrass him after they had the first give back to Penn State. And Pat said, you know, what about us? And they just acted like he was an idiot. And uh, what do you mean? It's not the same. Get out of here. You know, go away, boy. And uh, that was that was embarrassing, I thought, for Pat and for USC. It was uncalled for. Now that we know what the NCAA was sitting on, maybe they thought this is the only way we can act. Uh, you, know, we're, you know, we're in trouble in the McNair case. We can't act like we're giving anything back to USC. At this point, USC has nothing to lose. They went along with the NCA. They were good members. They they believed the NCA. They did everything and more that they could, you know, to live up to, you know, to these ridiculous sanctions. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people have been hurt, you know, physically, uh, you know, trying to play, uh, you know, the 
kind of schedule USC plays that they're required to play contractually because of their conference and, and, and all the contracts that were in, you know, in effect, you know, that you've got to go to a bowl game with 44 originally recruited scholarship players is ridiculous. And the NCAA knew the, see, they, for example, in the Syracuse case this year, they took three scholarships away from Syracuse and said, you can only play with 10, but they didn't take, uh, they didn't tell Syracuse you can only recruit so many a year, which is the kind of things that if you get some transfers and some early guys leave for the NBA, for example, in basketball, you're screwed. You end up way fewer than you, you were supposed to be. Uh, but in USC's case, they knew USC would get far below the 75 scholarships. They, I mean, that's why that's how it was designed. So, uh, you know, for the NCAA not to get even – offer to consider to give some of those back considering the health and safety issues for USC football players was, uh, was the kind of, I think, culpability that will really cost the NCAA in court. I, I don't think they can afford to go to court, which is why I think USC ought to get in the same place that Todd did, you know, sue them in California, threaten to sue them in California for the fair process law. California has a fair process law. You do not want to go to federal court. And that was the genius of the uh, Todd McNair lawyers. They realized they could, they were much better suing in California. So they didn't sue in any way that the NCA could get the case taken up to federal court where the precedent has been. Well, you're a member of a voluntary association and you agree to be governed by all their rules and all their processes, even if those things are unfair as hell, uh, they don't do that. They went to California. In California, uh, the fair process law says all members of an association must be treated the same, must be treated fairly, according to your rules. That's obviously not happened here. And it's a much more difficult case for the NCAA to, to defend in California. And if USC said, well, you're not giving us all the things we want back. And we just may have to, you know, we don't want to, but we may have to, to clear our name and to be uh, made whole again and to make sure that the NCA never does this to another member again. We just may have to go to court. Sure, we said we weren't, but that's before we learned what you did. We believed you that you didn't do these things. Now we find out you, you did. You give us no choice. I don't think the NCA wants to spend another 10 years defending a USC case uh, after the McNair case is over. I mean, uh, legal fees alone ought to, you know, you know, preclude that, you would think, for the NCA. So I think USC has to threaten, uh, you know, has to come up with a list of these are all the things we, we need to, from the NCAA. And if we don't get them, there's only one way then we can demand that we, uh, you know, we be treated fairly. And uh, you guys know what that is, NCA, and we've got the, you know, the roadmap to doing that successfully against the NCAA. And I think USC could get a lot of donations standing up to the NCAA like that. There'd be a lot of free lawyer time. There'd be a lot of, you know, whatever you need. Here's what we can do. So I, I think that's well, some good. Well, I, I know this. There, I know there's one, you know, one really loyal, you know, booster who's demonstrated his, uh, you know, willingness to back USC in, in any way that they needed, uh, from the outset had said that he would underwrite completely 
any lawsuit against the NCAA that he said, you know, whatever it costs, I'm there for you. This is one guy. I mean, I think there would be a whole lot of people who yeah. would say, way to go, USC, you know, stand up for your good name, our good name, uh, you know, and, and let's go get them. And I, I think it would, you know, be the kind of thing that, that would really, you know, put a, put a boost, you know, into the, you know, the whole booster thing. I mean, they have obviously been separated from the program unfairly now, as we see, uh, you know, for the last uh, four years. And uh, that would be a great way to get, you know, get some of them back on board. Um, good points there. Let's go. Uh, we still have a couple more of these. Patrick, they all have kind of little different takes, so that's why we'll get your thoughts on them. I feel that the release of the McNair documents are a bit of a downer. If I can liken it to anything, it would be like our country wanting, needing, and voting for political change, a change that will never happen short of a revolution. Even if the unreleased documents are even more damning, what do you think could be a realistic result? Maybe the championship gets returned short of that. I really don't think there will be any repercussions for the NCAA. Maybe another committee to oversee the existing committee. Sounds a lot like our government. <laughs> Patrick. Yeah, and, uh, Patrick is right to, to worry about that. Uh, you know, with the entrenched bureaucracies and the way, uh, you know, administrative, uh, you know, bodies are taking over, you know, both governmentally and, uh, you know, in, in organizations like the NCA that want to act like they're a government organization. Uh, now, I think this is where USC has to really target the response. They have to be, I think, is, is, is absolutely uh, on point as the NCA was trying to destroy USC's program. And I think they've got to destroy every vestige of uh, what allowed the NCA to do this to USC. I think the, uh, the organization as a whole has to be embarrassed. The presidents who were involved in changing the bylaws before the USC case so that you couldn't uh, appeal uh, the way uh, you had always been able to appeal, and then change them back after the USC. I mean, they, they they changed bylaws basically just to do it for the USC case, and that was obviously that's not law. I mean, that's uh, I don't know what it is, but it, it, it's not law. Uh, I think they also <clears throat> ought to be uh, there ought to be a way that the people who we can demonstrate acted in a corrupt way, and. Uh, violated whatever trust the NCA gave them, whether they were full-time people or volunteers on the committee or whatever, I think those people should be separated from all NCA duties for at least as long as Todd McNair is out of coaching. And I can start with three of them to begin with, although I think in this case the, the entire committee on infractions, the other eight, are culpable because they went along with uh, with sanctions and penalties that they had no idea whether they were true or not. They just believed what they were told, even when they had misgivings, which we see in the emails that the real members of the committee who were voting were like, oh, I don't know, we don't have any proof. This is we're not connecting, and yet they still went along <clears throat> with the three people who had hijacked the committee. I don't think those people should be allowed to be uh, involved. And we're talking about Missy Convoy at Notre Dame and Josephine Petrito at, uh, you know, at Nebraska and, and people like that. I think they should be, you know, told that we, your services are, are no longer needed, uh, you know, with the NCA. I do think there should be some specific, uh, you know, penalties. At one time, I was really considering, you know, whether USC boosters in each of the states where these people teach and at public law schools uh, should consider 
you know, filing Freedom of Information Act uh, requests to get all their emails that where they did business on, you know, the NCA business on state uh, on their state emails, which would be available, and basically going through those emails to see if uh, they, uh, you know, possibly could be brought up on ethics charges in their state bar associations. Uh, I, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to playing that kind of hardball with these people. I mean, they had no qualms about playing hardball with USC, uh, I think, it, you know, there comes a point where, you know, and they didn't have any qualms about playing hardball with Todd McNair and ruining his life, uh, making their lives a little more difficult after what they've done here, uh, I don't think would be wrong. Um, Marcel and Diamond Bar had a quick question. Does the NCAA publish, uh, excuse me, does the NCAA punish private schools more harshly than state schools? I would say probably. I think it's typical. I mean, you know, a, 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 a you know a product of uh, you know state, uh, private schools in in a couple of different states, uh, a coach and a and a player, and it, you know, the public schools were dominant, and it was just a natural kind of uh, they've got advantages or they you know whatever. And yeah, I think you don't have as much of a uh, uh, you know a protective. Uh, uh, you know, you know, like most of the private schools in Division One are in uh, are basketball schools in the Big East, for example, but they're not spread out all that much, you know, through the con- you know the country. Uh, I guess the Pac-12, you've got two, or the SEC, you've got one. Uh, I would say they're they're a little bit, uh, probably a, a little bit underrepresented in terms of uh, their ability to impact. Uh, uh, the answer, yeah, probably. And then uh, one last question is from John. It's kind of, I I mean, it was pages long. I had to paraphrase some of this, but I'll, I'll read you, and some of it's paraphrased, um, Dan, and kind of get your thoughts on what John has to say. He says, great work as usual on the case, Dan. However, um, uh-oh, however. However, yeah, uh-oh. okay. <laughs> so he basically says he didn't think that USC would get meaningful compensation unless it threatens to sue the NCAA I mean, yeah, the NCAA immediately. It could take years and quickly becomes yesterday's story. Uh, this is working the way the NCAA wants it to, providing the appearance of amateurism and allow influential institutions to escape scrutiny while keeping the Butlers, Boise States, etc. in check. The NCAA will not uh, redress this travesty short of a judge compelling them to. Why? USC will be great again quicker, which would be an abomination to the SEC, the Pac-12, ESPN, etc. Since USC has no political support at the NCAA member level, that's how we got screwed in the first place. There is no redress for USC within the NCAA process. No member schools felt USC was screwed in the first place. None cared if they were, and numerous schools actively and passively contributed to the lynching process of USC. I would argue argue USC is fighting more than the Committee on Infractions, a few rogue bureaucrats, or even isolated people like Missy Convoy or Paul D or even Mark Emmert. Do you think Oliver Luck is staying up at night worrying about how to make things better and fair for USC? The root cause is jealousy and fear over USC returning to dominance in football. Member schools have all benefited enormously having taken USC down. They have no interest in restoring a quote-unquote fair playing field. USC must sue, and the sooner they recognize it, the better. There is no downside to suing the NCAA now. Nikias and Hayden don't want a lawsuit, they have no stomach for it. Even if the rewards are great, 
It's up to the alumni and the board of trustees to push this, in my opinion. Uh, that's from John. John, I think it, it couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, and uh, I think one of the hard things for, you know, that's over the last few years is it's been really hard for the alumni and the boosters and fans and students and anybody that wanted to push anything for USC is it was hard to make the case if USC wasn't making the case for itself. And uh, there were, you know, a few things that came along where things could have happened. There was a potential RAND study of the NCAA that would have built on the USC case and, and gone into all of the, a lot of the issues you're talking about there and uh, couldn't get any support from USC. Uh, the powers that be at USC were just hesitant to do this. Uh, they were hesitant to want to look at those 700 pages of email. I think, for example, the biggest mistake they made was when the shallow decision came down and the one you know, independent jurist who had looked at all the materials said, you know, what the NCAA, what he saw in the limited discovery that the NCAA had done, USC should have immediately demanded through the NCAA in, you know, as a member of the NCAA to see those 700 pages and say, we want to come and look at them. We want to determine what's in them. And that will help us know, you know, what we're going to do going forward. Had the NCAA said no at that point, that's when you sue them. Okay, and that could have happened a couple of years ago. Okay, so they didn't do that. Now where we are. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you have to threaten more pain for the NCAA if they don't give in and if they don't make it right than if they do hold out. So how do you do that? The only way you can do that is uh, you know, through the threat of a lawsuit. It has to be there. Now, I don't think that they shouldn't, they should not give up on trying to build popular support. I mean, I think uh, they should be working extremely hard to tell Larry Scott that the Pac-12 is going to back USC on this as if it were the SEC and as if Auburn and Cam Newton had come along and everybody in the SEC knew what happened. Hell, he was shopped around everybody in the SEC, from what we can tell. And uh, they all knew what happened, and they didn't like it at all in the SEC. But do you think they turned their backs on, on Auburn in that national championship? No, they did not. They said, we'll take the national championship. That didn't happen in the Pac-12. Basically, you look around, and the Pac-11 said, wow, we're going to get more players we can recruit. They can't recruit them. And this will hurt them. And everybody in the pack, you know, and Larry had said, you know, we don't want just one, you know, one big you know, USC program and, and the rest of them, the other 11. So uh, I think they've got to turn the Pac-12 around. The Pac-12 has to go with USC every step of the way. And considering USC's prospects in the near future, I think uh, Larry might be wanting to mend some fences. I mean, he's been really good at Stanford. But if I'm Larry and I'm looking at, the future down the road, I'm thinking, yeah, I might want to get on that USC bandwagon a little bit. Uh, so I think they can turn the Pac-12 around. Now, uh, I think the only way, I, mean, I think there are ways you can try to make the case in public. Not that they even have to anymore. I mean, obviously, we were talking to Bruce Feldman of uh, Fox Sports and, and uh, Dennis Dodd of CBS uh, you know, Sports.com uh, Saturday at practice. You don't have to make the case to these guys anymore that USC got screwed. 
or that the NCA was ridiculously lawless and corrupt in the decision. That that's all turned around. Everybody knows that. Nobody defends the NCA. The big question is now what? What do you do? Um, my hope is that USC you get inklings that they have made that change in their minds, that they know they've got a winning hand and that they need to play it. Uh, it's not going to be played for them. The NCAA isn't going to give in. Uh, but if the threat of constant release of material, I mean, just the fact that if this case goes to trial and the McNair attorneys get a chance to depose Josephine Petito, and Missy Conboy, and every single member of the Committee on Infractions, only one of them has been deposed to this point. And then they get to depose every single member on the Infractions Appeals Committee about how they didn't even probably read the darn thing, much less, uh, you know, from, from all we can tell, from the way they paid attention to what was really a good appeal, and it got nothing, I mean, not even a, you know, a murmur, uh, you know, from the NCAA. You'd love to see those depositions as to what actually went on. And, and, you know, in terms of uh, both of those processes, I can't imagine the NCA wants more weeks like this past week to just keep happening. And the thing that would drive it is if USC had, you know, held a big press conference and if, you know, Max were there and Pat were there, the board of trustees, and said, look, we're not a football school. We're never going to be a football school. We're not even going to go after this the way Notre Dame defended itself. We're not going to go after this, you know, the way, you know, anybody else is. We're just going to try to make the case for USC. We went through, we, we you know, went through all the penalties. We've done all these things in reaction to them. Turns out we were framed. They, you know, they corruptly, uh, you know, sanctioned us. It was wrong, and we need to be made whole. We want our reputation back. And I think USC has the ability to do that and to turn it into a major national story. Without the threat, the, the only negative would have been suing immediately would have been the fact that the NCAA would have been able to say, well, we'll stay all the penalties, but when you lose the case, we're going to hit you with them again. And we'll, you'll be it'll it'll be used in negative recruiting against you for years and years. So that's passed. There's nothing left that anybody can use against USC. So they're basically home free in terms of uh, any impact on USC that would be negative. So as you say, what's the downside here? Uh, probably none. Yeah. Uh, one, a couple of little points. We have no questions up, but I just wanted to, some things that people brought up and we last few minutes here. Uh, the Heisman, like you talked about, I mean, I think that's a separate thing that's not part of the NCAA, but I think there's real, I think there's sympathetic people that work for the Heisman that would be on the side of having, you know, giving Reggie Bush's Heisman back. I think there's, there could be some real things there. The walk-on aspect, um, there was actually walk-ons that were cut from the team because there's limits of how many walk-ons you can have. So beyond even just giving some scholarships to walk-ons, it could expand give these guys that walked on and helped the depth of the program. Some of those guys are going to go away because USC can have more scholarship players now, but those still take up a, a roster spot. So some walk-ons that maybe were contributing when USC was down have to be kind of cut out. So maybe that's an opportunity too, Dan, where you can to get yeah, people Yeah, that's in a there. great point. That, that's a great point. Expanded squad size. You know, they had to go with a, you know, a smaller squad. Now give them uh, – that's one way or the other. 
And again, those don't cost the NCAA anything. No. You know, it, it helps the NCAA maybe get their reputation back. And Mark Emmert's no dummy. I mean, he's trying to stay there for the time being, I guess. Uh, and, uh, you know, he gets to look like, you know, it happened right before he got there. So he can come in and say, I'm trying to make it right. Gosh, I had no idea. You know, because when I interviewed him, if you can remember that very first time he came to L.A., and he said how he thought they got it right, but then he gave himself an out in a way, although it made him look bad when he said, oh, no, I haven't read read it. <laughs> I haven't read it, you know, and read the case. I haven't read, you know, all this stuff. So he's got it out if he wants to take it. And uh, I would think uh, anybody around him would recommend that he take it, except for the lawyers. And this is the question we don't know. What are the lawyers who are handling the NCA's case for McNair telling them? Uh, you know, there are people who say, well, they can't give in because it'll kill them in the McNair case. They're dead in the McNair case. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. They're walking dead. It's just a matter of when and how, not are they going to lose this case. Now, I mean, I guess they could say, you know, they're, they're you know, going to try one more Hail Mary at the, uh, you know, uh, court of, you know, the, the California, you know, Court of Appeals. And uh, I would think they got to know that the California Court of Appeals is really tired of dealing with the NCA, knowing that the NCA is just trying to stall. They don't, you know, they don't really think they've got a case here because they obviously don't. But um, um, you know, uh, it's just uh, uh, <laughs> the NCA could do the right thing. They won't. They've never done the right thing. Will they? Only if USC is threatening them in a way that if they don't do the right thing, keeping on doing the wrong thing will be far worse. That's where USC has to be, to put the NCA in a position where if you don't do the right thing, the consequences for you are going to be far more damaging. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think the only thing I didn't agree, Dan, was when you said Mark Emmert was a smart guy. So I'm not going to agree with that one. <laughs> well, but everything else I agree guy with. And he's, <laughs> he's gotten out of town before the sheriff got there on every place he's ever been. And he basically uh, uh, you know, had a career path that took him to every, like, almost every major conference in the country. So he had this kind of you know, you know, stuff going for him. And uh, you know, he was the kind of guy that was – you know, he was the runner-up, evidently, to Max in getting the USC job when he was a president at Washington. Wow. Uh, you know, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's done some career advancement kinds of things that Mark Emmert, I think, understands what's best for Mark Emmert yes. much of the time. One would think USC could put him in a position where you explain to him what's best for Mark Emmert right now is taking care of this correctly and making it right. That would be my whole legal strategy, is to make sure the people at the NCA know that if you don't make it right, if you don't take care of it, and if you don't admit you know, what happened here, and if you don't get USC's good name back, uh, the, the downside of that will be far worse than, uh, than trying to hold on to this uh, you know, fantasy of, you know, that that the USC case was handled fairly. All right. Well, great stuff, Dan. I can't believe we did a whole segment on the NCAA and Todd McNair 
defamation case. But great stuff, and thanks for everyone sending those questions in. Hopefully you, everyone out there enjoyed it. And uh, appreciate it, Dan. We'll, we'll see you out there at practice tomorrow. Yep, we sure will. And back to football. Back to football after this. So thanks again. You can send your questions to the podcast at uncfootball.com. Back to regular football talk uh, next week. So we hope you enjoy the show. And thanks again to Harvey Hyde, Dan Weber, and all your questions. We will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 